Happy Easter, everyone. Thank you for joining us this Sunday morning. Hopefully, this will be the beginning of your journey with Jesus. Let's come to the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for this time that we can uh, praise you and thank you. Thank you for the life that you have given on the cross to the life of Jesus. Um, truly, this is the time uh, that we celebrate your the resurrection of Jesus. Help us, O Lord, and that we will be able to listen to you. Uh, give us an open hearts and open minds that we will uh, hear from you today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Today's uh, title of the message is God Raised Jesus from the Dead. Uh, today's message is about Peter's message to the Jews, about the life of Jesus whom they have crucified. Today, we will dig deeper on God's message to the world. Uh, we will look into the life of Jesus and how he became the Messiah that was promised in the book of Joel and, in, in, and also in David's time. Hopefully by the end of today, um, we'll be able to understand that what, what is the role of the Holy Spirit and how Jesus played a very important role on salvation. Today's main idea, uh, this would be a best time to take out your pen and paper so that you can write down some notes. Uh, today's main idea is Jesus who was crucified is raised to life by God and he is the Lord and Messiah. Let's read that again. Today's main idea is that Jesus who was crucified is raised to life by God and he is the Lord and Messiah. So this passage is from Acts chapter 2, 22 to 36, and it's broken down into three points. The first point is that Jesus fulfilled the prophecy, which can be found in verses 22 to 24. The second point is that Jesus is the promised Messiah, which can be found in 25 to 32. And the third point is Jesus' life is for God's glory. 32 to 36. Now, this is the third incident that Luke reports of the Feast of the Pentecost in AD 30. Uh, Peter started speaking in unlearned languages because during this time uh, he is uh, doing his ministry and he was speaking to a lot of people. And then during this time he was speaking in unlearned languages, which was taken which taken the Jews of Jerusalem by surprise. Um, today, we will be focusing on miraculous manifestations and on the relationship between the coming of the Spirit and Jesus. Today, we will also take a look at the reality of Jesus as the promised Messiah and Lord. Yes, you got that right. We will look at the reality of Jesus as the promised Messiah and Lord. Let's, which brings us to point one. Point one is Jesus fulfilled the prophecy, which can be found in verses 22 to 24. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open that up. We will also have this in the caption below, so go ahead and uh, just read with us. Let's read. Men of Israel... Hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus 
delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God, God raised him up, losing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Now, this is a heavy topic that we're going to go through today. So hopefully we'll be able to uh, explain this to you guys and that every, every one of us will learn something from this. Uh, in verses 22 to 24, uh, Peter reminds us of the fulfillment of Joel's prophecy. The prophecy uh, is this. It's the restoration of Israel. Uh, Peter connects this back to uh, Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, which, which is really the whole point of the, the topic today. He reminds the Israelites of the significance of Jesus and where he came from. Now, if you don't know where Jesus is coming from, uh, where he was born and where his uh, hometown is, um, they call him the Jesus of Nazareth. That's where exactly where he's from, Nazareth. Uh, Nazareth, uh, fun fact, is a small town in West Lower uh, Galilee. It is a very un unimportant town, really. Um, it, also, it only has uh, 400 people living in it. It's a very, uh, what they call it here is a town in Edmonton, right? In Outside of Edmonton kind of thing. It's not a, a main city. Now, let's look at verse 22 further. What does it mean? Uh, once again, Peter calls out the people who were there with him. As we read earlier, this is what it, what, what was happening. Uh, this is addressing Israel who were supposed to be the chosen people. They also claim that they are God's people. Yet, what they don't know is that they are far away from God. They are supposed to bear the name that, Jesus, that Yahweh uh, gave to Jacob as well. Yahweh is uh, the ultimate God, uh, the Father in heaven, the God who lives up in the heavens, right? That's what they, they that's what they think anyway. Um, Peter then redirect their attention back to to Jesus. He's also uh, he also challenges them to consider the importance of the fulfillment of Joel's prophecy in the present time. During this time, uh, it's just a big struggle for them, for the Jews to understand um, the whole Bible. Again, for our perspective, we can read the whole Bible and hopefully understand well, what is going on. But during this time, they are stuck in their old ways of uh, listening only in the Old Testament. And Jesus for them is nobody. Jesus is first described as a man. A male human being because he's, he's born of Mary, right? Um, but we all know that he's not just an ordinary man. Jesus is accredited by God. This also emphasizes that God used Jesus to fulfill his mission. This mission also is meant to be for the Jews. As we know, this event happened in public. Um, God chose uh, the, the right time, the right place. And he chose to uh, have Jesus be born of a virgin. Jesus to be 
born on a manger, uh, be born among the Israelites. As we know, this event uh, happened in public. Uh, God could have used any method, of course. He could have used any time as well in, in the history of time, in the history of the world. But he used this because it's meant to be witnessed and be seen in public. Jesus' miracles, uh, deeds, and his ministry, wonders, and signs was meant to happen in the lives of Jews. It's all in God's plan. This is God's mission all along. To intervene in the lives of the Jews. And as we know today, to intervene in our lives. Now that we know that where, where he came from, let's look at his life and death now. Um, Peter explains that Jesus died because this is God's eternal plan. All along, it, it's, it's uh, what God wants to happen. There are four statements that Peter mentions about Jesus' death. The first one is that Jesus was killed by the Jews who were from Jerusalem. Uh, the execution of Jesus was driven by the leaders of Jerusalem. The leaders wanted to hunt down Jesus and put him to death. As we look back on Peter's speech, we see the people listening to him. And some of these people might be <laughs> might be the same person who were shouting, Crucify him! Crucify him! The same people who wanted Jesus nailed on the cross. Which brings us to the second statement. Uh, Jesus was killed using the cross. So being nailed on the cross is a gruesome and horrific um, uh, event. It's a situation that you don't want to be in. I don't think anyone wants to be crucified on the cross. Uh, this also, uh, this procedure is also made only for people in the lower class like slaves. Lower class, like even uh, violent, uh, violent criminals, uh, is also used for political rebels in the provinces. Uh, crucifixion is also done in public so that the people who sees this may be discouraged to do the bad thing or bring humiliation or shame on the person who is crucified. The next statement by Peter makes it even worse. Yes, I know there's even worse things than being crucified on the cross. Jesus was killed by people who were outside the law. So during this time, the government has a lot of power, as even we know as today. I guess we are in a democratic style of uh, government. Back in the day, it wasn't, the, it wasn't like that. Um, they have a lot of power. Uh, basically, uh, Jesus was handed over, uh, meaning the Jews used pagans as, uh, such as Roman officials to have Jesus executed. These men who were outside the law are like a secret agency of today's time. Um, they are not bound to the law. Uh, they are used by the government officials to do their dirty work. These men outside the law are not technically bad people. They just live outside the Mosaic law, like Pilate and the uh, Roman soldiers. 
Despite of the horrible event that had happened, Jesus was executed on the cross because this is God's plan. The thing is, um, we can't fully explain what happened to Jesus uh, by just intentions of the Jews. We understand that this is what happened. The Jews wanted him crucified. It's, it's what they want to happen, and this is what they plot uh, to happen to Jesus but actually it doesn't fully add up because Jesus death Jesus death was part of God's plan God God's omniscient wisdom saw sin entering the world before the beginning of time therefore he already had a plan since then he already knew when and where who this is going to happen to what appeared to be the free choice of the Jews to kill Jesus and the Gentiles to execute Jesus was seen by God beforehand. God already decided it and he planned it. At the end of the day, God is in control. This is his plan all along. This is the crazy part, the paradox of Jesus Yes, it was engineered and carried out by, by human beings. While at the same time, it was the climax of God's plan of salvation. Jesus' death on the cross was part of his mission. It's all God's plan. This is a great contrast by Luke of what wicked people did to Jesus and his restoration by God by raising him from the dead. Which brings us to verse 24. Uh, we understand that Jesus performed miracles and he was killed by the Jews, but the next one is controversial. Jesus came back from the dead. The thing is, this is not just an unprecedented event which needs to be proven, but also because if this is true, this would have a consequence for the Jews and the whole world. Now, Peter points out three main things within this passage. The first one is that Jesus was raised from the dead by God. As we all know, um, human beings like us could not raise people from the dead. That is just not possible. The thing is, this can only be done by God who made the heavens and the earth. The same God who created all living things. Um, same God who knows what's happening throughout all generations. The same God who also raised Jesus from the dead. The fact that Jesus was taken out of death means that God had defeated death. He wanted to show that he is above death. Even death could not hold him. So what is death? Death um, can, hold, can hold captive, and death is also agony. The first part is death holds captive. It is, it, it's explained as this. God freed Jesus from death. The thing is, death is the only option for the future of human beings. 
There's no option for us but to stay dead forever. Jesus, however, escaped death after having died because God chose to raise him back to life. You see that? God chose to raise Jesus from the dead because this is his plan all along. Let's look at the second part now, agony. The word is used to describe the pain of childbirth. Death is a painful experience. Um, it's painful for the person who died and and also painful for the people that um, lost their loved one. It's as painful as childbirth. Thing is, Luke uses this word to explain that Jesus could not be held down. Jesus cannot be captive in agony and pain. The third one is that death has no power to hold Jesus. Yes, we know. Jesus died. We understand that. There's proof in the history that he did die. He suffered death on the cross, but after three days, he was raised to life. Death could not keep Jesus captive. The power of death is nothing compared to the power of God because God has the power over life and death. Let me say that again. God has power over life and death. Which brings us to point two. Jesus is the promised Messiah. Let's read verse 25 to 32. Let's read. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand, and that I may not be shaken. Therefore my Lord was glad, and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to hate, or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and, and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ that he was not abandoned to hates, nor did he did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. That's a powerful message by Peter, by the way. I love that. Now let's break it down. Uh, the thing is, in verse 25, Peter quotes this, uh, this message is from Psalm 16, 8 to 11. To prove that to you, we'll go, we're going to go ahead and flip our Bible to Psalm 16, uh, 8 to 11. And let's go ahead and read that. I have set the Lord always before me, because He is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to show, or let your Holy One see corruption. 
You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. You see that? Peter is using the message that uh, David had a speech in uh, Psalm. David's speech in Psalm explains his trust in Yahweh. And he is devoted his life to God. He has confidence in God. I like what David says here. Uh, David sees the Lord before his eyes and keyword here is always. He is aware of God's presence all the time. This is full of reliance on Yahweh and he and he always seeks to obey God. I wish this is the same thing with our lives, right? David also mentions that Yahweh is at his right hand and this is the position of support. You see that? I love uh, what Peter said here. He then explains that the speaker is Jesus, the Messiah and Lord. He's not actually talking about David. Uh, Jesus also placed full confidence on God. When Jesus was living on earth, he's, his whole life was devoted to fulfill God's plan. That God will always help him through those plans. As we experience God's help and support, we are also encouraged to, say, to stay faithful to Him. Like I said earlier, I wish this is the same with our lives. That our lives will be devoted to God and that we will rely, our, our full reliance will be on God. Yahweh's presence and help is the foundation for joyful confidence in the future. That's the idea there. This foundation represents the whole person, the heart, the tongue, and the physical body, our whole being. Because Yahweh is present as his helper, David is not afraid of what happened to him in the future. To compare this back to our text, uh, Peter used the psalm to connect it back to Jesus' confidence and trust in God, in Yahweh who raised up the dead back to life. You see that? If when Jesus lived on earth, he knows that the plan is not his, but God's plan. He wanted to live a life following God's orders, following what God wanted to do. And that's how he was able to fulfill his life purpose. His life purpose is according to Yahweh, according to God. This is the same for all of us today, and it should be. When we put our trust in Jesus, we can have confidence in Him. This is the exact same thing in David's time, in Peter's time, in Jesus' time, and in our time today. He will not abandon us, nor forsake us. Jesus is our ticket so that when our physical body dies, we don't have to stay dead forever. We can have eternal life through Him, through Jesus. Now let's look at verse 27. What is the realm of death? 
In the scriptures, this is the abyss. Uh, it's mentioned many times. Uh, some may, may call it hell, right? A place uh, full of fire, maybe uh, molten lava. Whatever it may be, this is a place where we are separated from God forever. Uh, there is no hint of goodness in this place. In verse 27, we see David's confidence that Yahweh will not abandon him to the realm of the dead. Thing is, this passage is also used to rebuke the people who rely on Baal rather than Yahweh. In our time, uh, this is a warning for all of us to worship only God alone. Um, we cannot make any of these uh, things, any uh, abandon everything that distracts us away from God. May it be from work, your your own family, maybe, um, your hobbies, your uh, things that that can be your God. Uh, all these things should be abandoned, and let us let us go back to to whoever made us, and this is God alone. I love the next part of this verse. Let's look at it. Nor will you allow the Holy One to see decay. What does that mean? In the context of Peter's sermon, the Messiah, which represents God's Holy One, God's Holy One, uh, placed his confidence that God will not allow him to stay in the realm of the dead, and his physical body will not decay and be destroyed in the grave. This implies that Jesus was seen by his followers after his death. They saw the actual body being dead, from dying on the cross, being taken and put in the tomb. They saw all this. This is all real. The thing is, after that, they also know and witness that the tomb was empty. That's crazy. They even blamed it to uh, maybe a robber or some guy who stole uh, Jesus' body. They blamed it on a lot of things. They could not explain it. No one can explain it. This tomb was huge. This tomb cannot be moved unless you purposely move it by uh, a lot of people. It's, it's heavy. It's heavily guarded. There's guards there overnight. Um it, there's no way to actually steal Jesus' body. But the thing is, the tomb was empty. And Jesus is alive. And most important thing, his physical body could not decay. That's the whole idea there. Now, if you haven't been attention, pay attention now. This verse expresses the assurance that Yahweh will lead us on the path of life. We can assure this now. When we read this text, we can reassure ourselves that we can have assurance that Yahweh will lead us to the path of life. David, David himself reassures that God will give him an escape from death and give him a new life. The thing is, it doesn't end there as well. Because God's presence will also fill him with rejoicing. Now, God can save you from the dead, but he can also fill you. He can give you fulfillment. 
That's what it means. In, Peter, in, in Peter's sermon, uh, we see that Jesus also placed his confidence that God will save him from the dead. God, uh, Jesus had confidence that God will give him eternal life. On the other hand, the joy is different here because it is talking about the Holy Spirit. This is very different when it comes to uh, the Old Testament and the New Testament. The New Covenant is this. When we place our confidence in Jesus, Jesus pours out the Holy Spirit in us. He doesn't leave us behind. Yes, you can accept Jesus. You can accept His gift. Jesus will save you from the dead. Sure, He will give you eternal life, but it doesn't end there. He gives you the Holy Spirit so that the Holy Spirit will guide you each day of your life. That's amazing. Now, having poured in the Holy Spirit, Jesus fulfills God's plan. That's amazing. Now we see God's plan being fulfilled in Jesus' life. Because of His resurrection and His pouring out His life to the people. Holy Spirit being poured to the people who wants to follow Him. This fulfills God's plan. Now, I know we have been looking at David. And to tell you the truth, uh, this passage is not about him. Unfortunately for him, I know uh, David already knows this. Uh, we're just explaining it to uh, all of us now. Uh, Peter explained that David had died. Unfortunately, David uh, stayed, his physical body did not uh, disappear like Jesus. Um, he's still uh, in the grave, uh, in the tomb, existing in um, Jerusalem. Therefore, David is not the one talked about in the psalm, but someone else. In verse 30, we look at that David was just a person. He remains dead and his body is still buried in the city of David, which is called Zion in today's time. Therefore, the passage must point to someone who will come in the future. During in Peter's time, um, he made this argument that David's speech in Psalm is about the future event of resurrection of one of his people in his family line. Right? So it'll come on David's uh, family line, but it won't be him, unfortunately. This is God's promise to David. This is the whole idea here. It's uh, the God's promise to David that the Messiah will be coming in his family line. It's not him, but it will be coming from his line. Today as we know it, that person is Jesus. He is risen from the dead and ascended to the throne at God's right hand. He now passed on his mission by giving the Holy Spirit to the people who wants to be his followers. Let me repeat that again. This person is Jesus. He is risen from the dead and ascended to the throne at God's right hand. He then now passed this mission of, of, of sending and giving the gospel by giving the Holy Spirit to the people who wants to be his followers, who wants to follow Jesus. Now the long-awaited Messiah 
the anointed one, the person in the line of David who will reign the kingdom of God. I like how Peter's speech changed from future tense to past tense, meaning that the promised Messiah was already here. We're, if during Peter's time, this is Acts, right? So what uh, Jesus, Jesus' time already happened. Uh, Peter is, if you don't know, Peter is one of the uh, 12 disciples. And um, Jesus all, had already passed on his mission to Peter. And Peter is now doing his mission that was given to him by Jesus and uh, passing it on to people. Now, that's why it's past tense. Um, the thing is, uh, the promised Messiah was already here. We know that already because it is Jesus. And the prophecy was already fulfilled again by Jesus. God became flesh. That physical body is Jesus. The thing is, Jesus died, but his body did not experience the decay of a body, of a dead body would have experienced, but rather he is resurrected from the dead. He is alive. His physical body is resurrected and his essential person lives on. He's not dead. He is alive. Now, there are three things that we have learned from these passages. Um, the first thing is that David is not a person that God promised to be resurrected. The second one is God's promise of resurrection body is in the line of David. And the third one is God's promise is fulfilled to the resurrection of the Messiah, which is Jesus. The thing is, this is a crazy part about witnessing uh, Jesus' resurrection. Peter saw this firsthand. Um, the disciples did not believe it at first, believe it or not. <laughs> After Jesus died on the cross, they waited three days. And during those three days, they had no idea that Jesus was actually going to get uh, resurrected because they weren't listening to him or it didn't really kick, click for them as well. Um, after three days, Jesus was resurrected. I cannot imagine what the disciples were thinking during the time that their Savior had died. They had followed, if, for example, you had followed this guy and you, you, you fully know in yourself that he is God. He is the Savior. You know, he had done all these miracles. You had walked with him all these years. And all of a sudden, he died. You probably doubt yourself and say, oh, maybe this guy is not the Messiah. He's not God. How can he die? How can God die? But when Jesus was resurrected and he started walking around and visiting the disciples, <laughs> they did not believe or even recognize him. That's how crazy it is. In your head, in, in the disciples' head, they probably realized that Jesus is dead. There's no way. Maybe, maybe I'm hallucinating. That can't be him. But when they saw him, they didn't even recognize him. They were afraid of him. Thinking that he was a ghost or something. After they realized that he was actually Jesus. Jesus alive. They followed him. And they rejoiced that their savior is resurrected from the dead. That's what we celebrate Easter, right? We, we remember the day that our Savior, our Messiah, the, 
the God that saved us, that freely did this for us, is now alive. The disciples are now witnesses of Jesus' resurrection. So is us who experience it firsthand that we know for ourselves that Jesus is alive and He is God. We are now witnesses. We get to show the world. This is why Peter concluded that Jesus is the promised Messiah that was talked about in Psalm. That's why it all adds up now. Peter knows the prophecy in Psalm. He knows what happened. He knows what that is. And all this time he's been looking for that Messiah. And finally, the promised Messiah is here. And it is Jesus. Jesus fulfilled that prophecy. Everything started to make sense for them. Jesus' resurrection fulfilled the prophecy that they have been waiting for all these years. Jesus fulfilled God's prophecy. Which brings us to point three. Uh, Jesus' life is for God's glory. Let's read verse 33 to 36. Let's read. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, He has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David, this did, for David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Jesus. This Jesus whom you crucified. Now that's a heavy topic. <laughs> if I was one of the Israelites who was listening to Peter, oh, I would almost be like offended. Uh, but Peter is telling the truth here. This is a whole new reward that he's talking about. He's talking about a lot more than just uh, wealth and on earth, or or even 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 proud or uh, success on earth. He's he's talking about way beyond that. He doesn't care about anything on earth. Jesus' life is already an awesome fulfillment to the prophecy on earth. Of course, it's great. He did everything that, that God asked him to do on earth. He did that. But the thing is, it doesn't end there. God also gave Jesus the privilege to sit at his right hand. Look at that. God's promise to Jesus. Fulfill what I want you to fulfill. And you'll get the privilege to sit at my right hand. The image of sitting at the right hand of God describes the God as the describes uh, God as the source of power, life, and salvation. God allowing Jesus to sit at his right hand means that he had done what David could not do to rule the heavenly throne and be called as Lord. You see that? 
God allowing Jesus to sit at his right hand means that he had done what David could not do to rule the heavenly throne and be called as Lord. The second part of the verse describes the result of Jesus sitting on the right hand of God. Jesus received the spirit of prophecy and now passed on to his disciples. In Joel chapter 2, 28-32, we see the promise of giving the Holy Spirit to all who decides to follow the Lord. Now, nothing is mentioned that it is Jesus, right? It is only talking about following God the Father. As explained earlier, God allowing Jesus to sit on his right hand gives Jesus the status of Lord. Therefore, when we receive Jesus... We are agreeing to receive God's Spirit in us, which we now call the Holy Spirit. Now when we look at verse 34 and 35, we finally see what David means. Um, David himself recognized. He knows that he is not the one who will sit at God's right hand. The fact that he said, the Lord said to my Lord is a bit complicated here because of the translation. In English, we it's kind of like the same word, right? But the first Lord in Hebrew describes Yahweh, uh, meaning God the Father, the ultimate God. The God that lives uh, in heavens, uh, same God as uh, the God that uh, Jews, the Jews of Jerusalem uh, worships. The second Lord is written in Hebrew differently though. It is showing that David knows that it is not him who will be the successor but someone else. He's recognizing a different person here. The second part of Lord is someone else. He knows that. It's not him. David also recognizes the superiority of this person as his own Lord. See that? It's above David. It's a different entity altogether. The next part of the verse, we see the victory of the Lord over his enemies. Here we see as well that the king rules not because he deserves it, but because Yahweh allowed him to do so. You see that? The king rules not because he deserves it, but because God, the Father himself, allowed him to do so. Yahweh is the one that does the fighting and he's also the one that does the victory. He wins the victory. Now that we know that Jesus is the, is the risen Messiah who sits in God's right hand, through this we see God's victory over death. Through the death of Jesus, his resurrection and exaltation. Uh, this is a great conclusion from Peter. In verse 36, we see here that um, how he begins his message is how he ended it. He puts it back to them. He mentions Jesus, whom you crucified. He says as well that this is the same person God made both Lord and Messiah. Same person. And makes such a mistake. They couldn't 
But he couldn't believe it. No, Peter himself said so. Peter explained it as such that this is Jesus. The Messiah they've been looking for, waiting for all this time. That is Jesus. He is the Lord and He is the Messiah. Is the awaited Messiah. The one you have crucified. Now there are six truths that Peter mentioned in his sermon to the Jews. The first one is that Jesus is Lord. Jesus is exalted in God's right hand since his resurrection. Jesus is the Lord of David, sitting on the heavenly throne. Jesus is also the only way to receive salvation, and he is given the authority to give the Holy Spirit. The second part of this is that Jesus is the Messiah, the King who would save Israel. Uh, Jesus is the promised Messiah in the line of David, and Jesus is superior to David. The thing is, I love this because David recognized Jesus as his Lord. That's amazing. The third one is that Jesus is risen. Jesus sits at God's right hand. Uh, Jesus is made equal to Yahweh. The one that the Jews recognize as Lord. The fourth one is that Jesus' death is necessary. Jesus is needed to die on the cross. It is a necessary stage in his path. This is God's plan so that he can be placed at God's right hand. This is the whole point of why Jesus was born on earth to have the physical body. Jesus needed to save and restore the broken relationship we have with God. God also wanted to show his victory over death through the life of Jesus. By Jesus being resurrected to life, this showed that God is more powerful and beyond death. The fifth one is that Jesus' enemy will be defeated. Jesus will be back again. In Jesus' second coming, God's victory will be complete. We are in a stage right now where we, um, we get a chance to believe this message or not. We are in a stage right now where we can uh, accept Jesus in our life or we can reject him. But in fact, there is a second coming and Jesus is coming back. And this is when God's victory will be complete. The sixth thing that we have to look at there uh, is uh, this is for God's glory. That's really the whole point of this. This is all for God's glory. Now, this doesn't mean that uh, before Jesus was resurrected from the dead, that he wasn't Lord and Messiah already. Of course, Jesus was. Jesus is God and always been God since the beginning of ever. Before even the world began, God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit is one. He is Lord and he is Messiah. God, the thing is, God only used this to display his glory. He used this to contrast the Messiah on earth and the Messiah on the throne, on the heavenly throne. 
At the end of the day, this is all done to display God's glory to the Jews, to the apostles, and now in today's time for us. Now, what does this mean to all of us, right? The first part of this is that Jesus is poured out to us through the, through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the transforming persons of God to all who are followers of Jesus. Let me say that again. The Holy Spirit is the transforming persons of God to all who are followers of Jesus. The thing is, this is available for everyone. Whatever you are, whatever who you are, whatever gender you are, whatever how old you are, it doesn't, it doesn't have any age group. Whatever social class you are, rich, poor, it doesn't matter. Whatever place in the world you are from, whatever race you are, it doesn't matter. None of that matters because God does not discriminate. One thing we need to understand uh, when we agree to accept the Holy Spirit in our lives is that it'll change us. In fact, it'll give us a brand new life coming only from Jesus, and this is the eternal life. Receiving the Holy Spirit in our lives gives us the power to witness, to worship God, and to make Jesus as the Lord of our lives. Now, don't get me wrong, this doesn't make us perfect. Um, as followers of Jesus, um, we need to not minimize the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. We should have confidence in the Holy Spirit that lives in us. But the other part of that is that we need to also realize that we live in a fallen world. There will be trials, sickness, sin, and death. But as people who choose to receive the Holy Spirit in our lives, we have hope. We have peace as we wait for the second coming of Jesus. We realize that all the hurt and suffering of this world is all temporary and that there is much greater things than on earth. During this waiting time, uh, followers of Jesus um, must tell the world about what we have witnessed. Today, if you are compelled by this message and you know that there is someone in your life that doesn't have Jesus in their life just yet, you need to tell this to them. Everyone deserves to hear this good news. There is always a chance. Everyone needs to hear the love, grace, and mercy that the Lord had done on the cross. We need to tell the world that Jesus is alive and He is Lord. The second application that we can have here is that Jesus is the promised Savior. And how can we apply this in our lives? Jesus, who died on the cross and resurrected back to life, now sits at God's right hand. There's no other way to God but through Jesus. This is what we have to learn here. Most important part. Jesus is the way. He's the only way. The difference between this faith versus the worldly faith is that God does not demand demands us to be perfect. We don't have to think of what we need to do to have to have a fulfilled complete life. That's all God's plan. 
God invites us to come to Him freely, to receive the gift of eternal life. The thing is, Jesus and His ministry happened in front of people just like us. Even the Jews who didn't believe in Jesus, the people who wanted Him to be crucified, did not argue the miracles that Jesus did. Um, history even tells us that the fact of Jesus' life on earth and his death on the cross. You could search that up. The history, there are proof that Jesus was alive and he died on the cross. As we have learned today, there are so many passages that lead us back to Jesus. Not only in the New Testament, but throughout the Old Testament as well. The life of Jesus, death and resurrection and exaltation is already been written before his time. For those of you who have not experienced Jesus in your life just yet, I would like to encourage you today to say this prayer with me. Jesus, I give you my life. For those of you who haven't, uh, who haven't experienced Jesus, to, to work in your life, to have the Holy Spirit guide you each day. Maybe you're a person who is just struggling on fulfilling his life, but it's just you've done everything in your life and you've ex you achieved all these things, but you're still feeling empty. I want you to say this prayer with me. thing is, Jesus is the only one who can fulfill your life. God can pour out this, the, the Holy Spirit in you and so that you can experience Jesus and His gift of life, eternal life. A life that matters. A life that is forever. The life on earth is nothing. It's, it's garbage. Life on earth is, is useless. Imagine you die if you die tomorrow or if you die the next year, would you be ready? Would you be, would you be, um, be okay? You leave everything behind. But the message today, this gift of eternal life that, that Jesus is offering you today, this is forever. Something you can take and, and have with you all the time. Not just on earth, in the afterlife. God wants you to reconnect back to Him. You don't have to keep keep on sinning. You don't have to uh, live a life that is away from Him. He wants you to come back to Him. Come home. Come back to God. Reconnect back to Him. If you want this gift today, say this prayer with me. Jesus, I give you my life. Jesus, I give you my life. Say this prayer with me. Jesus, I give you my life. Jesus, I know I have sinned. I want to receive the eternal life that is only coming from you. I want you to be the Lord of my life. Pour out the Holy Spirit in me. That I might live a life for you each day.
In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you prayed this prayer today, uh, reach out to us by messaging us on our Facebook page. Um, I hope you are uh, you were in encouraged by God's uh, message today. Hopefully you may apply this in your everyday life. And that you will uh, look back on your notes and that you'll be able to and uh, research more on what's really going on in this passage on on Peter's life on David's life and and just look back on Joel's life as well um, hopefully today will be the beginning of your experience with Jesus with that in mind let's come to the Lord in prayer father in heaven we thank you that you are alive that you've resurrected Jesus back to life that you have defeated death Lord thank you Lord that you are the all-powerful and that death could not hold you father we praise you we thank you we are amazed that the tomb is empty and that you are alive father help us that to live our life according to your will according to your plans pour out the holy spirit in us each day that we will follow that holy spirit in our lives and that we will tell the world of this good news we will tell the world of your love your grace and your mercy in jesus name i pray amen